Section 18 of A Popular History of France, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Popular History of France from the Earliest Times, Volume 4, by François Guizot. Translated by Robert Black. Chapter 29. Francis I and the Renaissance, Part 3. In 778 Charlemagne was returning from a great expedition in Spain, during which, after having taken Pampeluna, he had failed before Saragossa, and had not considered himself called upon to prolong his struggle with the Arab Mussulmans. He, with the main body of his army, had crossed the Pyrenees, leaving as rear-guard a small division under his nephew Roland, prefect of the Marches of Brittany, Anselm, count of the palace, Oliver, Roland's comrade, Archbishop Turpin, and several other warriors of renown. When they arrived at the little valley of Roncesvalles, between the defiles of Césaire and Val Carlos, this rear-guard was unexpectedly attacked by thousands of Basque mountaineers, who were joined by thousands of Arabs eager to massacre and plunder the Christians and Franks, who indeed perished to a man in this ambuscade. Quote, the news of this disaster, says Egenhard in his Annals, obscured the glory of the successes the king had but lately obtained in Spain. Unquote. This fact, with large amplifications, became the source of popular legends and songs, which probably towards the end of the eleventh century became embodied in the song of Roland, attributed in two manuscripts, but without any certainty, to a certain Thurot, abbot of Malmesbury and Peterborough under William the Conqueror. It must suffice to reproduce here only the most beautiful and most characteristic passages of this little national epopee, a truly Homeric picture of the quasi-barbarous times and manners of knightly Christendom. The eighty-second strophe of the poem commences thus. Of Paynim yonder saw I more, quoth Oliver, than e'er before the eye of man hath seen. An hundred thousand are afield, with helm and hauberk, lance and shield, and pikes and pike-heads gleaming bright. Prepare for fight, a fiercer fight than ever yet hath been. Blow, Oliphant, friend Roland, blow, that Charles and all his host may know. To whom Sir Roland in reply, a madman then, good faith, were I, for I should lose all countenance throughout the pleasant land of France. Nay, rather, facing great and small, I'll smite amain with Durandal, until the blade with blood that's spilt is crimson to the golden hilt. Friend Roland, sound a single blast, ere Charles beyond its reach hath passed. Forbid it, God, cried Roland then, it should be said by living men that I a single blast did blow for succour from a Paynim foe. When Roland sees what moil will be, lion nor bard so fierce as he, Archbishop Turpin looks around, then forward pricks to higher ground. He halts, he speaks, the French give ear, lords, barons, Charles hath left us here, and for our king we are bound to die, for him maintain the Christian cause. Behold, how near the battle draws, behold, where yonder Paynim lie, confess to God, and I will give absolvement, that your souls may live. Pure martyrs are ye if ye fall, and paradise awaits ye all. Down leap the French on bended knee, they fall for benison, and he doth lay on all a penance light, to strike their hardest in the fight. 
the French have risen to their feet, they leap upon their chargers fleet, into the defiles rides their chief, on his good war-horse Vaillantif. Oh, in his harness he looks grand, on, on he goes with lance on high, its tip is pointed to the sky, it bears a snow-white pennon, and its golden fringes sweep his hand. He scans the foe with haughty glance, with meek and sweet the men of France. Lords, barons, gently, gently ride, yon Paynim rush to suicide. No king of France could ever boast the wealth we'll strip from yonder host. And as the words die off his lips, Christian and Paynim are at grips. A wondrous fight! The men of France thrust fiercely with the burnished lance. Oh, t'was a sight of grief and dread, so many wounded, bleeding, dead! On back or face together they, one on another falling, lay. The Paynim cannot choose but yield, and willy-nilly quit the field. The eager French are on their track, with lances pointed at the back. Then pricketh forth a Saracen, a bim by name, but worst of men. No faith hath he in God the One, no faith in Holy Mary's Son. As black as melted pitch is he, and not for all Galicia's gold could he be bribed his hand to hold, from murder and from treachery. No merry laugh, no sport of mien, in him was ever heard or seen. The good archbishop could not brook on pagans such as he to look. He saw and fain would strike him dead, and calmly to himself he said, Yon pagan, as it seems to me, a grievous heretic must be. There best to slay him, though I died. Cowards I never could abide. He mounts his steed, one, so they tell, from Denmark's monarch, Hight Grossel. He slew the king and took the steed, the beast is light and built for speed. His hoofs are neat, his legs are clean, his thigh is short, his flanks are lean. His rump is large, his back full height, his mane is yellow, his tail is white. With little ears and tawny head, no steed like him was ever bred. The good archbishop spurs a field, and smites a bim upon the shield, his emir's shield so thickly sown with many a gem and precious stone, amethyst and topaz, crystals bright, and red carbuncles flashing light. The shield is shivered by the blow, no longer worth a doit, I trow. Stark dead the emir lies below. Ha! bravely struck the Frenchman yell. Our bishop guards the cross right well. To Oliver, Sir Roland cried. Sir comrade, can it be denied our bishop is a gallant knight? None better ever saw the light. How he doth strike with lance and pike. Quoth Oliver, then in the fight, haste we to aid him with our might. And so the battle is renewed. The blows are hard, the melee rude, the Christians suffer sore, four times they charge, and all is well, but at the fifth, dread tale to tell, the knights of France are doomed to fall, all, all her knights, for of them all God spareth but three score. But, oh, their lives they dearly sell. Sir Roland marks what loss is there, and turns him to Sir Oliver. Dear comrade, whom pray God to bless, in God's own name see what distress, such heaps of vassals lying low, fair France hath suffered at a blow. Well may we weep for her, whose left old widow of such lords bereft. And why, oh, why art thou not near, our king, our friend, to aid us here? Say, Oliver, how might we bring our mournful tidings to the king? Quoth Oliver, I know not, I to fly were shame, far better die. Quoth Roland, I my horn will blow, that Charles may hear and Charles may know, and in the defiles from their track the French, I swear, will hasten back. 
quoth Oliver, "'Twere grievous shame t'would bring a blush to all thy name, "'when I said thus thou scornedst me, "'and now I will not counsel thee. "'And shouldst thou blow, t'were no great blast, "'already blood is gushing fast from both thine arms. "'That well may be,' quoth he, "'I struck so lustily. "'The battle is so strong, "'I'll blow mine oliphant that Charles may know.' "'Quoth Oliver, had Charles been here, "'this battle had not cost so dear.' But as for yon poor souls, I wis, no blame can rest with them for this. Why bear me spite, Sir Rollin said? The fault, said he, lies on thy head, and mark my words, this day we'll see the end of our good company. We twain shall part, not as we met, full sadly ere yon sun-bath set. The good archbishop hears the stir, and thither pricks with golden spur. And thus he chides the wrangling lords, Roland, and you, Sir Oliver, why strive ye with such bitter words? Horns cannot save you, that is past. But still t'were best to sound a blast. Let the king come, he'll strike a blow for vengeance, lest the Paynim foe back to their homes in triumph go. With pain and dolor, groan and pant, Count Roland sounds his oliphant. The crimson stream shoots from his lips, the blood from bursten temple drips. But far, oh, far the echoes ring, and in the defiles reach the king, reach name, and the French array. Tis Roland's horn, the king doth say. He only sounds when brought to bay. How huge the rocks, how dark and steep. The streams are swift, the valleys deep. Out blare the trumpets, one and all, as Charles responds to Roland's call. Round wheels the king, with collar mad. The Frenchmen follow, grim and sad. Not one but prays for Roland's life till they have joined him in the strife. But, ah, what prayer can alter fate? The time is past, too late, too late. As Roland scans both plain and height, and sees how many Frenchmen lie stretched in their mortal agony, he mourns them like a noble knight. Comrades, God give ye grace to-day, and grant ye paradise, I pray. No lieges ever fought as they. What a fair land, O France, art thou! But, ah, forlorn and widowed now! O Oliver, at least to thee, my brother, I must faithful be. Back, comrade mine, back let us go, and charge once more the Paynim foe. When Roland spies the cursed race, more black than ink, without a trace, save teeth of whiteness in the face, full certified, quoth he, am I, that we this very day shall die. Strike, Frenchman, strike, that's all my mind. A curse on him who lags behind, quoth gallant Oliver, and so down dashed the Frenchman on the foe. Sir Oliver, with failing breath, knowing his wound is to the death, doth call to him his friend, his peer, his Roland. Comrade, come thou here, to be apart what pain it were, when Roland marks his friend's distress, his face all pale and colourless. My God, quoth he, what's now to do? O oh, my sweet France, what dole for you, widowed of all your warriors true! You needs must perish. At such plaint, upon his steed he falls a faint. See Roland riding in a swound, and Oliver with mortal wound, with loss of blood so dazed is he, he neither near nor far can see. What manner of man a man may be, and meeting with Sir Roland so, he dealeth him a fearful blow that splits the gilded helm in two, down to the very nasal, though by luck the skull it cleaves not through. With blank amaze doth Roland gaze, and gently, very gently, says, Dear comrade, smittest thou with intent, methinks no challenge hath been sent. I'm Roland, who doth love thee so. Quoth Oliver, Thy voice I know, but see thee not. 
God save thee, friend, I struck thee, prithee pardon me. No hurt have I, and there's an end. Quoth Roland, and I pardon thee, for man and God right willingly. They bow the head each to his brother, and so in love leave one another. Oliver dies. Roland and Archbishop Turpin continue the fight. Then Roland takes his horn once more. His blast is feebler than before, but still it reaches the Emperor. He hears it, and he halts to shout, Let clarions one and all ring out. Then sixty thousand clarions ring, and rocks and dales set echoing, and they too hear the pagan pack. They force the rising laughter back. Charles, Charles, they cry, is on our track. They fly, and Roland stands alone, alone, afoot. His steed is gone, brave Veantif is gone, and so he, willy-nilly, afoot must go. Archbishop Turpin needs his aid. The golden helm is soon unlaced. The light white hauberk soon unbraced, and gently, gently down he laid, on the green turf, the bishop's head, and then beseechingly he said, Ah, noble sir, your leave I crave, the men we love, our comrades brave, all— all are dead, they must not lie here less neglected. Wherefore I will seek for them, each where he lies, and lay them out before your eyes. Go, said the bishop, and speed be thine. Thank God the field is thine and mine. Sir Roland searched the plain, and found his comrade's body on the ground. Unto his heart he strained it tight, and bore it off as best he might. Upon a shield he lays his friend, beside the rest, and for an end. The bishop gives them all and one. Absolvement and a benison. As Roland marks them lying there, his peers all dead, and Oliver, his mighty grief he cannot stay, and willy nilly swoons away. The bishop feeleth grief profound to see Sir Roland in a swound. Through Roncesvalles, well he knows, a stream of running water flows, and fain would he a journey make to fetch thereof for Roland's sake. He totters forth, he makes essay. But all his feeble limbs give way. Breaks his great heart, he falls and lies, Face downward, in death's agonies. So Charles's soldier-priest is dead, He who with mighty lance and sword, And preacher's craft incessant ward, Against the scorners of the Lord, God's benediction on his head. Count Roland laid him to rest Between his shoulders on his breast. He crossed the hands so fine and fair, And as his country's customs were, he made oration o'er him there. Ah, noble knight, of noble race, I do commend thee to God's grace. Sure never man of mortal birth Served him so heartily on earth. Thou hadst no peer in any clime To stoutly guard the Christian cause, And turn bad men to Christian laws, Since erst the great apostle's time. Now rest thy soul from dollar free, And paradise be oped to thee. A last encounter takes place, a Saracen left wounded on the battlefield, seeing Roland in a swoon, gets up and approaches him, saying, Vanquished! He is vanquished, the nephew of Charles! There is his sword, which I will carry off to Arabia! And as he makes to draw the steel, a something doth Sir Roland feel. He opes his eyes, says not but this, Thou art not one of us, I wis, raises the horn he would not quit, and cracks the pagan's skull with it, and then the touch of death that steals down, down from head to heart he feels. Under yon pine he hastes away, on the green turf his head to lay, placing beneath him horn and sword. He turns towards the Paynim horde. 
and there beneath the pine he sees a vision of old memories a thought of realms he helped to win of his sweet france of kith and kin and charles his lord who nurtured him he sighs and tears his eyes bedim then not unmindful of his case once more he sues to god for grace o thou true father of us all who hatest lies who erst did call the buried lazarus from the grave and daniel from the lions save from all the perils i deserve for sinful life my soul preserve then to his god outstretcheth he the glove from his right hand and see saint gabriel taketh it instantly god sends a cherub angel bright and michael saint of peril height and gabriel comes up up they rise and bear the count to paradise it is useless to carry these quotations any further they are sufficient to give an idea of the grand character of the poem in which so many traits of really touching affection and so many bursts of patriotic devotion and pious resignation are mingled with the merest brute courage such in its chief works philosophical historical and poetical was the literature which the middle ages bequeathed to the reign of francis i in history only and in spite of the new character assumed afterwards by the french language this literature has had the honor of preserving its nationality and its glory villardoin joinville froissart and commines have remained great writers in philosophy and in poesy a profound revolution was approaching the religious reform and the fine literary genius as well as the grand french language of the seventeenth century were preparing to rise above the intellectual horizon but between the moment when such advances dawn and that when they burst forth there is nearly always a period of uncertain and unfruitful transition and such was the first half of the sixteenth century that is to say the actual reign of francis the first it is often called the reign of the renaissance which certainly originated in his reign but it did not grow and make any display until after him the religious philosophical and poetical revolution calvin montaigne and ronsard born in the earlier half of the seventeenth century did not do anything that exercised any power until the later one single poet a third-rate one clement marot attained lustre under francis i Rabelais is the only great prose writer who belongs strictly to that period. The scholars, the learned critics, of what had been left by antiquity in general, and by Greek and Roman antiquity in particular, Bude, or Budaeus, J. C. Scaliger, Moritus, Danis, or Denisius, Arnio, Ramu, or Peter Larame, Robert Estienne, or Stephanus, Vatable, or Watebled, Cujas and Tournebius make up the tale of literature specially belonging to and originating in the reign of Francis I, just as the foundation of the Collège Royal, which became the Collège de France, is his chief personal claim to renown in the service of science and letters. Let us return to the poets of the actual reign of Francis I. The first we encounter speaks thus of himself. Quote, I am not rich, that, certes, I confess, but nevertheless well-born and nobly bred. I am read by both the people and the noblesse, throughout the world. That's Clément, it is said. Men live their span, but I shall ne'er be dead. And thou, thou hast thy meadow, well and spring, wood, field, and castle, all that wealth can bring. There's just that difference twixt thee and me, 
but what I am thou couldst not be, the thing thou art why anybody else might be. Unquote. Now who was this who, with perfect confidence, indulged in such proud language? Was it a Homer, a Dante, a Corneille, one of those great poetical geniuses whose works can move a whole people, are addressed to all the world, and, quote, will live for ever, No. It was a poet of the court, and of the fashionable world of Paris, of Blois, and of Amboise, in the sixteenth century, a groom of the chamber to Marguerite de Valois, and one of Francis I's favorites, who had written elegies, eclogues, epistles, complaints, rondelets, and epigrams on the incidents and for his masters and mistresses of the hour. France owed to him none of those great poetical works consecrated to description of the grand destinies and grand passions of man, and to the future as well as to the writer's own time. End of section 18